if you got your Bible, go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1. As we, we stopped at verse 20. We made it all the way to 20 verses. So, it might take 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs one twenty. when you get that, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we just thank you just for the opportunity to come together to be with you. Help us to focus on you, God. Give us insight and understanding of your word and your truth, God. Truly speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're picking back up. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Proverbs 1, we're starting in verse 20. There's outlines on the back table if you would like one for y'all writer people. And last week we got our introduction out the way and we went over it and told you how the book, we broke, we breaking the book down into three sections because a lot of people think Proverbs just a whole bunch of random verses that you can just pick up one for the day and that's good, but it's actually a full book. That we are breaking up into three sections. So section one we talked about chapters one through nine. Being the introduction of the book. And it has the opening discourses. Which are different from what people think about when they think about Proverbs. Most people think about them short. A little bit of catchy verses that you can just hold on to and think you learned some. But these are actually long passages that you can't pull a verse out to really understand. Then in the second section you have a couple of different books combined together. Starting in chapter 10, you have the Proverbs of Solomon. Then in chapter 22, 17, you got the sayings of the wise. Then you have another couple of discourses. Then you have some more sayings of the wise. Then you have the Proverbs of Solomon as collected by Hezekiah. Then the last section of the book are two sects of Proverbs, one by King Agur, another one by King Lemuel, which is mostly his teachings of his mother to him. So we're in, digging into section one, Proverbs chapter one. And now we've made it through the first discourse. Or the first two, I call them the admonitions, uh, admonishments. You got the sayings of this father to the son. And as we dig in, just another little piece I'm going to throw out there. And it's something we're going to expand on as we go. That in the Bible, there's a literary device used called, everybody heard of it, called allegory. Uh, Paul talks about it in um, Galatians chapter 3 when he talks about the difference between Isaac and Ishmael. He said that this is an allegory that speaks of two covenants. And what an allegory basically is, is that you tell a story that on the surface teach one thing, but if you think about it, everything contained in the story has a deeper meaning. So when he talked about Isaac and Ishmael, he talked about them as being the sons of the promise. Versus the sons of works. Because Abraham and Sarah came up with the idea to get Ishmael. But God promised Isaac. And he and in there he go into this deep teaching about the difference between the law and the promise. And that allegory is a strange literary advice that some people go too far on. And they just want to spiritualize everything. And that's not healthy. But as we read. Especially as we're going into chapter. I mean verse 20 of chapter 1. This is something to keep in the back of your mind. And we're going to bring it up as we go again. Now we finally get introduced to Lady Wisdom. So in verse 20, 
Lady Wisdom shows up on the scene. And the proverb speaks of wisdom as a lady, as a woman. And a question a lot of people wrestle with is like, why do they talk about this lady as a woman? Because most time the dominant figure in the biblical story is always a man. Man. But now they're talking about wisdom as being a woman. And they keep this thing throughout the rest of the book. But what we have to remember is all of these discourses in chapter 1 through 9 is a speech from a father to who? To his son. So he's giving a lesson to his son. And that's the underlining theme that goes into it. So as we go through it and wrestle with it, that's something you have to keep in mind. So let's get into it. Yeah, this this verse 1 through 9 is, I mean, chapters 1 through 9 is mainly that way. That's all. These are long speeches. This is you. Sit down. Boy, sit here. Let me tell you something. And then you got small applications once you're going through the next section. But you still see that underlying as this teaching of a father through the son. But it's, it's the main point of this opening introductory point. So let's see can we get in it. Starting in chapter 20, I mean, verse 20 of chapter 1. Now, I term this one the prophetic appeal just because the way it's set up. So this is wisdom appealing. It says, wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse. In the openings of the gates, in the city, she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones? How long, ye, <clears throat> how long will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in scorning. And fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my proof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So this is her opening appeal. So in verse 20, you see, it says that wisdom does what? She cried out. She uttereth her voice. So he gives the picture of Lady Wisdom. And if y'all reading the old King James where it says without, that's a fancy way of saying outside. So Wisdom is outside and she's crying. She's lifting up her voice in the midst of the street. So let's get the picture in our head. Of this lady wisdom out in the middle of the streets, in the concourses, just out on the block, hollering and screaming, shouting to people to come like the old prophets of old. She out there declaring her words. And this is her call in verse 22. How long, you simple ones? How long will you love simplicity and the scorners delight in their scornings and fools hate knowledge? So she gives us the people who she's talking to. And the question is, how long? So how long will it be? How long will you go on, you simple ones? We talked about that simple one in, in ch- the early verses of chapter one. That's the naive, the one who ain't been schooled that much, the young ones, the ones that don't know that much about life. So this is who appeal is to, the simple ones. And she asking them, how long will you love simplicity? Like how long is going to be that you just going to dwell on being naive, being unlearned, being easily deceived? Like, how long that's going to be? So we call, we got the simple ones and they love simplicity. He said the scorners, the word scorner is another word for those who mock. And it's a parallel to being arrogant. It's those who scoff at people, those who put down folks, those who make jokes and make fun about it. And it's a parallel between being arrogant people, prideful people. So it's like, how long you scorners Will you delight in your scorners? So how long y'all going to go on mocking and just having fun by putting people down, lifting yourself up and bashing other people? So she's calling the simple. She's calling the scorners. And here's a little different than the opening chapters. 
she's appealing to the fools. Because when we said when we went through the introduction and said these proverbs ain't beneficial for the fools. So we got the simple one out here that she's appealing to. We got the the boastful or the scorners, and now she's crying out to the fools. And she's asking the fools, how long will you hate knowledge? And it's the picture that the foolish people scorn being taught. The foolish people scorn being brought up and, and being trained. Because our thesis statement for this book was what? Anybody remember? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's a description of a fool. Fool hate to be taught. They get upset. You can't teach them anything. You can't instruct them anyway. And her appeal to the fool is how long are you going to be foolish? And by being foolish, she's saying, how long will you reject knowledge? How long will you be at that place where can't nobody teach you nothing? How long will you be at that place where every time somebody try to tell you something, you get upset? So this is her appeal. She's talking to the simple, the scorners, or the prideful, and the foolish. And let's look at their response. I mean, the rest of our appeal in 23 said, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make known unto you. I will make known my words unto you. It's 23. said, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So in her appeal, she's going and she, what if she pleased with, she give them two promises. Uh, one is a command and the other two is a promise. A command is turn. That's repent. So when I cry out to you, when I command you to do this, when I'm rebuking you for your simplicity, for your scorning, and for your foolery, turn, repent, turn at my reproof. Then she said, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will give to you the words of knowledge. So if you repent, if you turn at my rebuke, I'm going to give you my spirit. So here's a declaration of a promise for the spirit of wisdom to be bestowed upon the foolish, the simple, and the scorner. And all they have to do to receive this spirit is to what? Repent. To turn. To hear her cry and respond. That's the setup. And that's why I call this the prophetic appeal. She's being like a prophet, out there crying in the streets, declaring and calling people to repentance. And if they repent, they're going to receive the spirit and they're going to get words of knowledge, words of understanding. So you're going to be learning. You're going to be trained up. But let's look at their refusal is how I termed it. In verse 24, it says, because I have called and you refuse. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But you have set at naught all my counsel and would none of my reproof. So this is their refusal. Said, because I have called. And you refuse. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. So I, I came to you. I cried out. You, you ain't listen to me. I told you to repent. You refused to repent. And it gives a picture. I stretched out my hands to you. So I extended myself for you or to you. You ain't regarded. You ain't paid no attention to my outstretching. So this is wisdom. Call ended in action to draw you. You ain't pay no attention to any of it. And it's the parallel she's given here is that her outstretching is parallel to her call. So not only did she just lift up her voice without just saying y'all come, but she did an action to draw you. She stretched herself out 
for the purpose of bringing you in. And these people did not regard it and they did not listen. So this is their refusal. They refuse to hear and they refuse to respond to the outstretching. And so she responds. And, and, and I'm going to skip verse 25. It says, but you have set at not all my counsel and would not of my proof. What did she mean by you set at not? I mean, you counted it as nothing. You put it over there like nothing worth my attention. So all my counsel, all my advice, all me trying to get you together and teach you something, you, you, you weren't talking about nothing. And every time I, I hear this, I think about the person. Everybody, if you know somebody like this, everybody knows somebody like this. Like I said, everybody is found in this book of Proverbs. You're going to have a proverb for everybody in your life. But how many of you know somebody that reads the Bible? I mean, they be, they be in it, but don't do nothing to say. Absolutely nothing. They read it, they study it, and I know some that, that will argue, like be mad when people say something bad about it, like go take your head off. But then they boast about fornicating and, <laughs> and lying and doing all that type of foolishness. It's like, hold up. Are you so passionate about the Bible? But you don't do nothing it says. And that's what he's saying here. Like you said at not. You counted as nothing, all my counsel. I took my time to give you all my good word, and you treated it like it was nothing. Then he said, and you would none of my reproof. That would means you desired none of my reproof. Like you didn't want nothing to do with none of the stuff I was saying. And that goes back to our Proverbs 1.8. A fool to what? Despise wisdom and instruction. You didn't want nothing to do with that. You hate it. Which means that you didn't fear the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is the opposite of despising fear and instruction. And look at her response. Verse 26 said, I will, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you. Now this don't sound godly, do it? <laughs> this is Lady Wisdom. With the prophetic calls. He said, since you didn't listen to me, since you didn't heed my call, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. So when things go bad for you, I'm going to laugh. He said, when your destruction coming, I'm going to mock. That, 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 that sounds to be harsh. Like, that don't sound like a heart of love and compassion. Like, whoever the wisdom is, she can't be God or any relation to God. <laughs> God don't do stuff like that. But hear it. Really hear it and let it sink in. Because you reject it, because you refuse, because you will not turn, because you will not hear, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to mock. And your destruction is going to be something that uh, I'm going to take it as a like thing. Like, yeah, nine out of nine now. <laughs> and it's a sobering thought if you pull it in. And if you let the whole of Scripture speak, we see this as a theme throughout Scripture. Psalms 2 opens up talking about how when the nations rage against God and his anointed, he said they mock and laugh them to scorn. In 1 Thessalonians, when Paul's talking about the end times, when he said that, that desolation and confusion going to come on all the world, it says God going to put on them the spirit of strong delusion that they might believe a lie because they refuse to believe in the truth. 
So it shows this picture of God responding in kind when people refuse. Hey, you, you don't want none of what I got. You don't want none of my reproof. So I'm going to add to what you want. And it's almost the picture of the children of Israel in the, in the, in the wilderness. They were mad and mocking God and, and being angry at him, murmuring. And he told them, God told through Moses that, hey, I'm going to give you the meat you're asking for. And you're going to have it till it starts running out your nostrils. If you want it, here it is. And that's what wisdom is saying. You chose this life. You chose these things. Have at it. And this picture is, is desolation going to come. Destruction coming as a whirlwind. So as a picture of a tornado or, or a hurricane sweeping through the city, that's how destruction is going to come upon you. It's going to be forceful. It's going to be powerful. And I'm going to laugh. And wisdom said, when your distress and anguish come, I'm going to laugh. And then watch, and it get a little more sober, sober in verse 28. It says, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. Then shall they seek me early, but they shall not find me. So when desolation, when destruction comes, when all the pain and the calamity come, when judgment comes, you say, at that point, they're going to call upon me. But I'm not going to respond. So I'm going to give them the same treatment they gave me. It's like, when come early. They're going to seek me early. That means they're going to rise. And they're going to just seek me going to be the first thing they do. They ain't going to find me. And it shows you that the, that the mercy that can be granted is not something that could, should be taken lightly. Well, I said, you, you gonna, it's going to come a time where you're going to want some wisdom. It's going to come a time where you're going to want a relationship with me. But I'm not going to be there for you. And you're not going to be able to get to me. And it said, that's when your desolation and your destruction come as a certain whirlwind. In 29, he says, why? said, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despise all my reproof. So this is why she's going to respond the way that she's going to respond. Said, for that they hated knowledge. So since they hated knowledge, they refused to learn. They refused to come and, and, and get this close relationship with me and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Once again, we got that parallel again. So we, I mean, once this is the first time we see this parallel. They did not choose the fear of the Lord is paralleled against they hated knowledge. So he's telling us something about the fear of the Lord. And I told you, these are little things we're going to pick up as we go. So what are we learning about the fear of the Lord in this verse? That it has something to do with knowledge. And that's why verse 8 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he said because they re- did not hate knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So he got these things in parallel. Something about knowing and is connected with fearing God. So there's some knowledge in fearing God. And they're, they're connected together. And he says, since they didn't choose this thing, they hated it. They did not accept it. That's why she's going to mock at them. And then the other reason it says that they would none of my counsel and despised all of my proof, reproof. So they desired none of my counsel. They ain't want nothing to do with what I had to instruct them. And they hated, they despised, they, they looked at it as something to be loathed everything, every time I tried to reprove them, I rebuked them. So in the short, they were fools. So since they were fools, I laughed at their foolishness. Then we're getting down to the end, 31 said, Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. 
For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of the fools shall destroy them. So since they hated knowledge, since they despised my counsel, it said they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. That's a pro- prophetic way of saying they're going to get what they gave. When they're saying they're going to eat of the fruit of their own way, so the way that they're, life, they're living, what that life produces, that's what they're going to be filled with. So the product, the produce from their pattern of life is what they're going to be filled with. And the other parallel that he's given, it says, and be filled with their own devices. So the, that devices is imaginations, the way that their mind works, the schemes that they come up with. So they're going to be filled with their own devices. So all the plots and all the tricks that they come up with, all the mischief that they dream up is going to be heaped upon them. That's what's going to fill up their life. It's similar to what the father was telling the son. It's like they lay in wait, but they lay in wait for their own lives. They lurk privately, but they do it for their own souls. Here we're saying that they coming up with devices and mischief, but they're going to be filled with them. It's going to come upon them, the things that they're doing. The way that they're living is going to be given back on them because they did not hear reproof. They despise knowledge. And then we get this last in 32, it says, because the turning away of the simple shall destroy, slay them. So the turning away is basically the refusal. So the simple gave the call, but they turned their back on it. So the turning back or the refusal, the, the backsliding, the stepping off of the simple is what's going to destroy them. And given a call, it was an appeal made to them, but they turned from it. So that's what's going to slay them. And the prosperity of the fools shall destroy them. So when fools prosper in their way, they said that's going to be their destruction. So when they go along their journey and they gain success and they reach a certain level, so the things that they gain going to be the things that kill them. So that's the theme that he's putting out. And we see this a couple of times. It's the second time within these 20-some verses that we've seen this. Like I said, when he ended the other one, he's talking about those who are greedy of gain. He said the the thing that they get is going to destroy their own lives. And here he's saying the prosperity of the fools are going to destroy them. So it gives us a picture that prosperity, financial wealth, being successful is not necessarily a depiction of blessing. Because here he says that's the thing that's going to destroy these foolish folks. So just because you reach a certain level of success don't mean you're being blessed. It could be a curse. Because he said, this is what's going to destroy them. And we all know jokers like that. That was all right till they got a little bit of money. Because once they get it, they can do all the foolishness that's in their heart. So Joe get rich and turn to crackheads and meth heads and all type of other stuff. Destroy their own lives. And he's saying the prosperity of the fools is what's going to destroy them. But then he gives this end about those who repent. So in verse 33, it talked about the ones who hear the call and he's contrasting them against these foolish. Said, but whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil or from fear of evil. So those who listen, those who repent, those who turn, like they're going to dwell safely. They're going to be all right. There's going to be security about them. That's what he means, dwell safely. That they're going to be in a secure place and they're going to have peace from the fear of evil or peace from dread of evil. So there's peace in the house of the repentant. 
and that the calamity to come, the destruction to come, and all the things that are going to slay the wicked, the those who turn are going to be able to see that stuff, know of that stuff, and still be at peace. That's the picture that he's given. Peace from the fear of evil. So the fear and the dread that evil or calamity brings, it ain't going to shake up these folks who repent. They're going to dwell safely. So there's security and repentance. In the contrast to there's laughing and there's mocking for those who don't hear. And this is the first appeal of Lady Wisdom. So it's a call to hear. Repent. If you don't, there's judgment to come. And it ain't going to be a judgment that's going to make me cry. It's like I'm going to laugh. And the reason I'm going to laugh is because you're going to get what you wanted. But those who hear, those who turn, their safety. But it's also give us a picture of life where calamity, destruction, and hardship may just be a part of it. Because you see the parallel. When sudden fear come upon evil, I'm going to laugh. But at the end, when it talks about the blessing of the repentant, it says they're going to be quiet from the fear of evil. But that tells me something, that the fear of evil is still going to be there. That calamity is still going to be around. It's just that they're going to be protected. They're going to have peace. And so we have to keep this understanding as we go throughout this thing. That Proverbs ain't promising a life without hardship. Because a lot of people think that. I mean, you read Proverbs. There's some dude like, man, Proverbs preached the prosperity gospel. But we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Let's make it into chapter 2. See can we make it all the way to the end of this thing. Get into it. Chapter 2. And in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is where we get back to the father speaking to the son. So this is the second, the third admonition of the father. So he coming in and getting ready to school his son on some things. Same writer, I think. I think all this from 1 through 9 is, is, is one long discourse or one long training. So one, starting in verse 1, said, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart unto understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hidden treasures. Paul right there. This is the opening up. This is the what he wants him to do. My son said, if thou receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. So if you receive my words, that means you take them in. And hide my commandments means you store them up like you would do a special treasure. But the place where he said you store them is where? With you. So let's get the picture of you receive something precious and you refuse to let it go. You always have it with you. You got to hear it with you because it's something special to you. And this is the way that he wants the son to respond to his words. To his words and his commandments. So to the things that I'm teaching you and the law that I'm laying down to you, you receive them. You take them in and you hold on to them as something precious. I got it. It's something that you treasure. You never let it go. And it says, so that. To, this is the point of doing this. This is why you take it in and why you receive it. It says, so that thou incline thy ear unto understanding and apply thy heart. I mean, apply, incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. So the deal is to get wisdom and the understanding. But he says, you apply your ear and you incline your heart. 
To apply your ear means to turn your ear like, like I told y'all, like putting it up against the wall. You take understanding and you put it there. You lean into it. And it says you incline your heart. You bend your heart towards understanding. So it is speaking to a disposition that we need to have internally. This is our posture when it comes to wisdom. Yeah, you lean in. You put yourself in a position where you hear it and where you, 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 you go on it towards it. Like a plant growing towards the sun, you lean in. You incline your heart to understand it. You apply your ear to wisdom. So you take your ear and you press it up against wisdom. You take your heart and you bend it so that it leans towards understanding. And it's the posture that he wants them to have. Then he moves from the posture to the practice. He says, verse 3, If thou criest after knowledge, and lifted up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest for her as silver, and searchest for her as hid treasures. So not only do you lean in, and you take the, the correct posture, he said, you cry. And I like this parallel because in chapter 1, verse 20, who was crying? Wisdom cried. Wisdom was lifting up their voice in the streets. And now he's saying, you need to cry. And it gives this dichotomy that almost don't seem to make sense, but it's something that goes throughout the scripture. You got wisdom out in the streets yelling, come, hear me, receive me. I'm going to give you my spirit. And what he said you need to do is be out there with wisdom, crying, wisdom, come, be in me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the picture that he's given. But it also shows us something about a biblical expectation of our behalf. The thing that we longing for is not just something you be like, oh, yeah, I want it. It shows an effort in it. Lift up your voice. Cry. And that goes beyond our quiet and our solemn. God, I'm saying I really thank you. <laughs> I love you, Lord. And you really be good to me. That's not the picture that he get here. He said you cry up. You lift up your voice. And it shows that you have a willingness to cry, to, to go after something. To put forth the effort, and as the old church folks said, to be undignified. And, I, and as you think about this crying thing, I, I really thought about this the other day. Like, what are some times when you just cry? Like, when you, you really just be crying. Like, first time I'm thinking about when you're in pain. Like, when something by life hurt, that's when you cry. That can, that can cause some tears to come and you boo say, just imagine, think about, man, Riding down the hill in the country with my friend down the snow. His, his folks had this nice big old farm area down there. And they had the big long dirt road. Tan that thing a ride. But I ain't used to dirt roads and all this stuff and rocks and everything every while. So the whole while the bike like this. <laughs> but I'm getting it. Then I noticed after a minute, the pedals were moving faster than my legs. <laughs> And so a couple times the pedal would spin around and hit the back of my foot. So it flew well. <laughs> and man, man, I hit the gate with the handlebar, caught the side of the gate, and that thing shoo, snapped. And I went, boom, skip, boom, boom, get down that dirt road. And man, I wanted to cry so bad. <laughs> Our brother was in pain. Man. 
and it took everything in me not to let her cry. <laughs> Couldn't let him see me cry. Couldn't let it out, bro. I'm talking about I was hurt, man. It hurt to walk. I could, bro, the chair hurt. Couldn't breathe. <laughs> that was a bad thing. But I thought about that time. Like, you cry when you're in pain. But another time you cry is when you're in danger and you need something. When your life or when imminent danger is around, that's when you cry. Like, if you see somebody about to get hit by a car, you'll be like, hey, bro, a car coming. You don't you, you say it like that. You'd be like, hey, man, you need to watch out. Like, something to kill you. <laughs> you do it without even thinking about it. You respond in a way that elevates beyond your normal coolness. Because the danger of being so imminent puts you in a place where you can't just be, hey, hey, bro, step back. <laughs> You don't go just knocking on nobody's door in the house and be like, hey, man, y'all house on fire. Because <laughs> there's danger. So the whole way down, you scream, hey, man, somebody call the, the, the fire department. Hey, hey, anybody in now? Like, people can hear you, man. You're right there. But the danger creates something in you that causes you to cry out. And that's what he's telling us now. Cry out. Lift up your voice. And it's a parallel between what? The thing that you were seeking after was doing. And it's almost like a relationship. You know, the, the modern day relationships. When people say dumb stuff like, I think you, I'm more into you than you are into me. Right? And that's what it seemed like here. Like, if wisdom willing to stretch herself out, to cry out, and all you doing is that, man, I'm saying, I think. If you can help me a little bit. I think it's really hard right now. <laughs> nah, but that's the picture. But then the picture goes a bit deeper. And it says, search for her as silver. I mean, seek for her as silver and search for her as hid treasure. And there's some activity that's there. But the thing, keep in mind, is just a couple of verses ago, he told us wisdom was doing what? Wisdom was crying. Wisdom was in the midst of the streets. Like, what you got to search for somebody who's crying in the middle of the street? They right there. But the, par- the parallel is there. You cry out and you search. You put forth some effort. You seek just like you seek in the treasure, just like you seek in something that's precious. You're willing to dig and mine and go to great lengths to pull this thing up. Like I said, you, y'all don't watch National Treasure and them hidden movies. You see all the stuff they're willing to do just to find one little ch- case of gold. The joke would be about kilt, be about drying, go through caves. And all this type of stuff, willing to break into national museums and anything they got to do to get to the thing that they're looking for. And that's the picture that he's given here. So you cry out and you search. You go on a journey. You seek. You be willing to dig just like you're seeking something precious. And this is the call to his son. And it said, if you do that, if you cry out, if you incline your heart, if you go on this search, he said, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. So the end result of this journey, of crying after wisdom, of inclining your heart towards the words of knowledge and understanding, of seeking for wisdom as treasure and hidden gold, is you're going to find knowledge of God. So you're going to know God if you're willing to do these things. And then it says, you shall understand the fear of the Lord. It's another fear of the Lord verse. 
So if you go on this journey, if you seek, if you search, you're going to understand. That means you're going to comprehend the fear of the Lord. It's something that you're going to be able to master. And find the knowledge of God. So he's paralleling again the fear of the Lord with the knowledge of God. So that's point two, I guess, we talk about the fear of the Lord and letting Solomon define it for us. So fearing the Lord is what? Knowing God. So if you know him, you fear him. And there's a parallel there. And you get this knowledge of God by searching, by seeking, by lifting up your voice and crying out and putting your heart in a position to hear and respond and incline. That's what you get. And these are the end results of it. In verse 6, this is why you're going to get it from there. It said, for the Lord giveth wisdom, and out of his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk upright. He keepeth the path of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. So God is the one who gives wisdom. Yahweh gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So all wisdom, knowledge and understanding comes from Yahweh. He gives it. He puts it out. It flows out of his mouth. So that's why when you seek and search for wisdom, you're going to find who? God. Because he's the source of it. So the fountain of wisdom is God. So as you go on this journey, you're going to find God and that receiving of this wisdom is going to give you knowledge of God. Then he tells us some things about God. Say he layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. So God has got a store. He, he got a, um, an account set aside for the righteous. And he said in that account is sound wisdom. That's what he mean by he layeth up. He, he's saving some stuff for you. If you're righteous, for those who do right, he layeth up. So he's storing up. He, he's saving sound wisdom for you. And that sound wisdom is a practical wisdom. It's, 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 it's a secure wisdom. It's a wisdom that in your application of knowledge or in your skill to navigate life, you're going to be secure in it the ways that you do it. There ain't going to be no doubt in it. So you can navigate life securely. It's sound. It's something you can bank your life on. So as you're making decisions, as you're relating to people, as you're going about your life, God got sound wisdom laid up for you. So he got the ability to give you the ability to navigate life in a secure way, in a firm way, just because you're righteous. He got it saved. That's the account he got building up for you. And he says he is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. So that walk uprightly is another way of saying to the righteous. So to those who live their way, their life in a straight manner, in an upright manner, in a righteous manner, he is a buckler to them. Now, buckler. Is a fancy word of saying a shield. Like a, a, a big shield to those who walk uprightly. So he, he's storing up some stuff for you and he's going to protect those who walk uprightly. And that's the connection to you having sound wisdom. So as you navigate this thing, the way you go and how you move and how you apply is going to be secure because you got sound wisdom. I mean, you know the right ways to respond in all these different ways. And you got a buckler, you got a shield, something to protect you in the way. So long as you're walking uprightly, long as you're being righteous, God got a store treasure for you of wisdom. That means there's another part of life where you can be just overwhelmed and cannot comprehend. God got a storehouse for you. And in all that storehouse, he got a shield. And it's over you. So God, Yahweh, is a shield to you. It says... In verse 8, say, he keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. 
So the path of judgment, that judgment is a declaration, the right decisions. Once you make the right decisions, the sound decisions, say he keepeth those paths. So once you're in the way of judgment, the path is a pattern of life. So when you're in the way of judgment, the way of right decisions, sound decisions, he, God heads those paths in. He, he, he builds fences around those paths. It's going back to him being a buckler. It's going back to him laying up sound wisdom. So these paths are secure. So God got them hedged in and he preserved the way of his saints. He, he, he preserves them. He holds them in. He protects them. He don't let any defilement come into the way of his saints. Say, if you did that, then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good thing. So the end result of you inclining, of you leaning in, of you going after wisdom, you're going to know God and you're going to understand righteousness, judgment, equity, yea, every good path. So every right way to live life, you're going to understand those things. You're going to comprehend them. This is what he's saying. Say, when wisdom enter into thy heart and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, this is when. When wisdom enters into your heart and knowledge is pleasant unto your soul. So when you let wisdom in and you delight in knowledge, discretion shall preserve thee. So right, the, the ability of discernment, your ability to differentiate between right and wrong, good and evil, that's going to protect you. So when wisdom come in, you're going to get discretion and that's going to protect you from the way of the evil man and from the man that speaketh forward things. So it's going to protect you from the way, the pattern of life of the evil man and from the man that speak perverse things. And it's going to tell you a couple of different things that this protection is going to do. And see, can we run these quick? Verse 12, to deliver thee from the way of evil man. I mean, <clears throat> describing the evil man in verse 13, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the way of wickedness. So this is what the evil man to do. He stray away from righteousness and he walked in the way of darkness. 14 said he rejoices to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked. So he rejoiced to do evil and he get joy from the perversion of the wicked. So when wicked folks do the wrong thing they do, he delight in it. He like, yeah, that's cool. He sit up on Facebook and watch them videos all the time. <laughs> in verse 16, I mean 15 says, whose ways are crooked and they are forward in their path. This is still describing the evil man. So their ways are crooked. So their pattern of life got a whole bunch of jagged edges in. We'll talk about that a little more deeply as we go forward. And so their paths are forward. So the pattern of life they live is perverted. So they're crooked and they're perverted. It's another place that they're going to deliver you from. And we get introduced to a new character. Start here in verse 16. Said to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger with flattereth with her words. So he's going to deliver you from the evil man. And now it's saying he's going to deliver you from the strange woman. And that strange woman could be an adulterer, an outsider, a foreigner, a one who draws you out. All of those are possible translation of this strange woman. They mean by strange, an adulterous woman, an outside woman, a foreign woman, a woman who draws you out. This is the strange woman. So he's going to deliver you from this strange woman and from the stranger which flatter it with her words. And now we got a parallel because we've been told to go through Lady Wisdom. And now he's telling us Lady Wisdom is going to deliver us from this strange woman. Lady Wisdom is trying to teach her with her words. This strange woman says she flatters you. She fluff you up and pull you on out there with her words. It says... 
17 describes when the strange woman says she forsaken the God of her youth and forgetted the covenant of her God. That the God of her youth, that means those folks who came around her to try to teach her something, she left them alone. So she got old, got 18, went to college, just left the youth group alone. She don't call her youth pastor no more. <laughs> and she just forgot all about her, her purity promise. <laughs> so forsake the God of her youth and forget the covenant of her God. For her house goes down to death, or her house inclined to death. And that's an ugly picture. This is the description of this strange woman. Like when you go into her house, her house inclines to death. And her paths unto the dead. So the way that she lived her life, when if you get on this journey with the strange woman, it's going to take you to the place where dead bodies are at. It's, it's full of death. That's, that's what her life is. And then that's a crazy, I like that picture. Her house inclines to death. It's like you, you, you on an escalator. It's just going down the minute you step in her door. <laughs> this is her house. And said, none that go unto her return again, neither take their hold of the paths of life. So the folks who enter into this strange woman, enter into relationship with her, say they don't bounce back. And they don't take hold to the paths of life. So the right path, the paths of, of life, the upright path, they don't get them. They are with the dead. They incline unto death. And it says, that thou mayest walk in the way of life. So this is the end result. A wild wisdom is going to deliver you from the froward man and from the strange woman. Is that thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright shall dwell in the land and the perfect shall remain in it. So wisdom is going to take you so that you can walk in the right path with good men. Not with the froward, not with the strange woman. Said for the upright shall dwell in the land. The upright is going to stay in the land. And the perfect shall remain in it. Those who are whole, those who are lacking nothing, they're going to remain in the land. So they're going to dwell. Said, But the wicked shall be cut off from the earth and the transgressor shall be rooted out of it. But the wicked, they're going to be cut off. Cut off is another way of saying they're going to be killed. The wicked are going to die. But look at the parallel. The righteous remain in the land. The wicked going to be cut off from the earth. So the parallel between land and earth shows you that when he's talking about the righteous remaining in the land, he's not just talking about like Israel standing in Israel. He's talking about the righteous remaining on earth. And it gives us something of our future. So the righteous people, they going to stay on earth. But the wicked people, they going to die. Death. In contrast to us remaining on earth. So this shows you our hope and our destiny goes also beyond just living in heaven. Right? The righteous going to remain in the land. But the wicked going to be cut off. And transgressors shall be rooted out of it. It gives the picture of like you snatching roots up out the ground. Transgressors, those who go against the law, they're going to be snatched up out of this earth. But the righteous, they're going to stay here. We're going to inherit it. And that's the promise of Jesus. It said the meek shall inherit the earth. We got a promise of an eternal reward that's going to do something with us being here and everybody who ain't like us getting gone. And this is part of the wisdom. Anybody got any questions?